0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. It is so good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to the book of Genesis. Guests, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so and particularly excited. I look forward uh, to this moment all week as we start the book of Genesis. We are starting a new series which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration. And if you are a guest this morning, uh, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not what I have to say. And so we're going to walk uh, through the book of Genesis together. And when we come to uh, the Bible every Sunday, when we preach through uh, the Bible, there are a couple things that I want you to remember as we start this new series. We, we preach through Bible, uh, the Bible. We call it expositional preaching because we believe the Bible has something to say. Not that I have something to say, but the Bible has something to say. And so when we come to this moment, this is not just something for me to talk to you about. This is something for you to engage in. It isn't a monologue. It's a response. It's, it's, it's more of a conversation, but only if you engage. And so as we start 2023, I want you to think about how do I engage in God's Word, in the preaching of God's Word, every week. So I ask you to engage with your minds. Christianity is not just I have faith that things will happen. No, we have faith in a God who has revealed Himself, and we can think well about this God because He has revealed Himself. We can engage with our hearts, the control centers of our being, that the Bible speaks directly to who we are as people, as individuals. I want you to engage with your emotions as well. You were made with emotions. God has made you to feel sadness and joy and happiness and even anger and sorrow. And so when we walk through the book of Genesis, you're going to feel those kinds of emotions because you're going to see how sin has broken the world. And I want you to engage with all of who you are so that you decide something. Because what you're going to see as we walk through Genesis is what it does is it helps us think about the whole Bible, it helps us think about doctrine in general because it's the beginning. it is the Genesis, the origins. And so it helps us. and so I want you to make a decision. Are you going to listen and hear God's word and then respond to it by submitting your life to what is true? And so, as we start this morning, If you are not a follower of Jesus today, I pray that you see who God is, particularly a grand God, and a God who has revealed Himself in His Word and in Jesus, and so that we get to know Him, we get to to be like Him because He has died for us. And so if you are not a believer today, my prayer is that you would accept Christ and submit your life to Him. But also that this is a safe place to know this God and to see his people live out that gospel that we proclaim. And so it's a good reminder for us. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in front of you and turn to page one as we start this morning. I'm going to say a line, and I want you to say out loud what comes to mind. I want you to say out loud what comes to mind. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away... Star Wars stories, opening lines. We love them, right? We know them. They come to memory, a galaxy far, far away. We all know that this is going to start a Star Wars story, but opening lines are not the only uh, thing that we remember, but not just the Star Wars opening lines. We remember lots of them, and we come to Genesis, and we hear the first words, in the beginning, God. We know it. It may be one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. It's, It's a line that helps orient ourselves, but orient ourselves to what? The story of the Bible, to the story of the Bible. You see, this book that we preach through is a story, and we'll talk about more of that in a moment. It's a story. And you have the opportunity to listen to this story and to hear it and respond to it or not. Because we live in a day where there are two competing stories. Are you the main character of your story or is someone else? We have two competing stories. The Bible versus what we call humanism. That humanity is at the center of everything and we get to decide everything. We are basically God. And whatever form it takes, that is the competing story. You hear it in follow your heart. Do what you think is right. You have two competing stories. And so when we come to Genesis, what we have to ask ourselves is, do you believe in the story? Do you believe that you're just a chance out of trillions of variables that we ended up in this place what story are you going to believe today? What story are you going to submit your life to? What story are you going to give yourself to? This story, what Genesis tells us, is something very specific. And so here, well, here's what we're going to see in these two verses. In the beginning, God creates everything in the universe and molds it into his good creation molds it into his good creation. Now, if you are a disciple today, if you follow Jesus, we talk about making mature disciples, here's the truth that you need to know. Here's the story that's being told. God is the sovereign creator of the entire universe who is intimately and actively involved in his creation. When we speak of the Bible, we speak of it as a story and we make a claim about that story in the Bible. We make a claim that it's a public truth. It's not just a truth for little Israel. It's not just a truth for Christians around the world. No, this is a story that defines everything in the world, including who you are. It defines me, it defines you. The biblical story is not to be understood simply as a tale or a myth. It begins with the creation of all things and ends with the restoration of all things. And we live in a time that talks about finding yourself, finding your purpose, finding out who you are, but you can't do that until you answer the question of the story. When you discover the story that you're in, you will then find yourself. And this is the story that we come to today to orient ourselves that this is not our story. As much as we might want to say it is, it is not our story. And so what do I want you for you today? Is I want you to see the grandness and beauty of a God and His story about loving you and sharing His glory with His people. And so let me give you the setting to, to this book. What would have have been in the minds of the readers when they opened up this book, heard these first two verses? Well, Moses, we believe, wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wrote Genesis, and he probably wrote this between two major events. Probably between uh, either leaving Egypt, Mount Sinai, when he's given God's word, or before they're about to enter the promised land. It's some point in between there. And so, Moses is ta- is sharing the story with, with Israel, the people who are going to become Israel. Think about those two things. You just left Egypt, and you're about to enter into the Promised Land. What is God saying? That He is God, and that He is going to provide for His people. And notice that Moses is very intentional. He's very concise with his wording. So intentional that in the original Hebrew language, that verse 1 is only seven words. It's the number of completion. And the second verse is 14 words. Two times seven, the number of completion. And now, let me be very clear. The Bible, at least Genesis, is not concerned with modern issues of evolution and Darwinism. It's not concerned about that. It's not concerned about naturalism either. It's not concerned about uh, there is no God. No, it assumes that there are there is God or gods in the world. It's going to tell us who that God is, and then when we talk about this, we're gonna we'll come back to that next week. But Genesis is concerned about who God is and who you are in light of that, where you come from, what is your origin, what is your beginning, what is your worth, what is your purpose. So as we walk through these two verses, here's what we're going to do. I want to expound the two truths that you see. I want to expound the two truths that we see here in the verse, that God is a sovereign creator and that he's intimately and actively involved. So here's what we're going to do. As we walk through this, since God is sovereign creator, it means this. That's how we're going to walk through this, and it's going to help us kind of identify what's going on in the passage And then, since God is this, we must, we're going to end with, we must do something. So, truth number one. God is the sovereign creator of the universe. Look there at verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Therefore, the main character of the Bible is God. If God is the sovereign creator, he is the main character. And the subject of the first sentence is God. It's easy to think about this story in the Bible to think about it in a way that it's about us. And unfortunately, what we've done is we named this account, this story, creation, and that's really the, the object, not the subject. So unfortunately, it doesn't help us remember that God is uh, the subject. And he's actually mentioned some 35 times in the first chapter. Some 35 times. If we want to understand the story, then we have to understand the subject. This brings us to a very important thought. God doesn't need us. That's not mean. I'm not trying to be mean. But God doesn't need you. God was perfect. He wasn't lonely. He he wasn't longing for something. He doesn't need us. He was free to create, not forced to, by any emotion. God, as we see in this first chapter, is an all-powerful being who needs nothing. He created out of his love and kindness and grace to share his glory and love with his creation. And it's also important for you to know that this word used for God is Elohim. Now, I normally don't use the original language with you. There's a couple reasons for that, but this is really important as we start out the, the book of Genesis, right? It's a name. Elohim is the name that is used here for God. And, and here in Genesis, it's an important name because if it's generally if it's used, it's talking about plural gods. That's not what's happening here. It's used to describe our God. And now, some of you may have heard this, this means Trinity. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean Trinity. We can understand that God is the Father, Son, and the Spirit, that this is possible because God is called Elohim, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. But what it does mean Is it talks about his power and transcendence and how he created all things. Now, this word created is also important. If you haven't caught on, this first sentence is really important for us as we start. This word created, it's used and it's associated with God. It's it's what God does. God creates. This is new activity out of nothing. God creates in a way also that assigns role and function. So God makes everything. Creates everything. It isn't just he forms it. It isn't just that he's fighting against the chaos. No, no. He speaks it into existence. Now, what did God create? He created the heavens and the earth. This is a phrase that sums up the entire universe. Everything we see that we don't see, spiritual and physical, God created it all. Now, a few months ago, Uh, The new web telescope uh, sent back pictures. It gave us data. So we're going to throw a couple of those up there for you. Now, the first one, I believe, is of those are all, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. Take that in for just a moment. Those are galaxies. Our galaxy, our galaxy, it would take us 100,000 years to travel across it if we traveled at the speed of light and just to give you a little, uh, l- little idea of what that is, that's 670 million miles per hour that's how, that's how big that is and secondly what we think from scientists now, we think there's up to 125 billion with a B galaxies in our universe we can throw that second picture up this is uh, what Na- nasa believes is an exploding star expanse some sort of, of forming that's happening in the in our universe somewhere that's stars are exploding and so what we see even just these pictures i mean what, what a beautiful picture that is and we see in it barely we have to fit it inside of a tv frame and God speaks it into existence. That's what God does. That's the kind of power that God can speak with His Word. There it is, and the whole universe is there in the instant that He says it. There used to be scientists now that just declared that the universe was eternal, though. Or they would say, no, the universe has always been. That's always existed. And they refuted the Bible's teaching about God creating everything in the beginning. Well, one MIT researcher reviewed and collected enough data to say, well, he proved that actually the universe is expanding. It's hard for us to think about. The universe is expanding, which means that it couldn't be expanding forever. So there's empirical, literal, scientific data that says the universe is expanding. Therefore, it cannot expand forever. So it had to have an origin, which tells us it lines up with Genesis, It had to have a beginning. It had to have a cause. It had to have a maker. And we know this maker as God who made all things. Everything exists thanks to God. God is the main character of the story. But God is the sovereign creator of the universe and therefore eternal. Look back at that first phrase, in the beginning. It serves two purposes. To orient us in the story that God reveals himself in the winds and wheres. God doesn't have to do that. But he, he kind of orients our minds in the beginning. And two, to raise the question in our minds. Multiple questions. The beginning of what? Where was God? Was he before the beginning? That's the point. God was in the beginning before anything else. And it's hard for our minds to wrap it around that idea. That God was just there from eternity past to eternity future. God is there. And it's hard, when we start thinking about that, we we gotta get stuck on who God is. He is eternal. He has no beginning, he has no end, he has no origin. Let me read to you Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity. You are God. This word beginning also helps us orient us to God's story. Not his origin, but his activity. In the Old Testament, most of the time the word beginning has something to do with the end in mind. Think about your favorite story. It can't go on forever. That favorite TV series that you have cannot go on forever. It has an ending. And the writers know that there will be an ending to the story. Even the first words of the Bible, think about, anticipate the end of the story. God has a goal, a future goal in mind. Now, when we read the Old Testament, I want to remind you of a couple things about how we read these stories. There are kind of three ways that we think about these stories. Number one is the immediate story. What's going on in the actual story that's there? What's God doing here? But secondly you have a national story that we don't we have to put ourselves in the shoes of Israel. God's special covenant relationship people. Will they love and obey God? Will they trust him? Will they not fear anything else but him? So you have the immediate story and then you have the national story but you also have this grand story which many of you may know about as creation fall redemption restoration. And so this is the grand story of a child who was born to a virgin, God in the flesh, the covenant king of the universe, and he offers himself up for us. And so when we read these stories as we think about them and apply them to our lives. There's three stories for us to think about. Why do I say that? Because this story is not the only story going on. We know that Jesus came in the flesh 2,000 years ago. The question is, what will we do now? What will we do in light of knowing that God created everything and specifically then he sends his son into the world to restore it? What will we do? That's the question that we have to keep in our minds as we walk through these stories. So God is the sovereign creator of the universe. He's the main character and therefore he's eternal, but he's also in control. If God is eternal, anticipating the future goal of his creation, it also means that he's in control of his creation. And since God's creator, he's the owner of the universe, and he gets to make all the decisions. We might use the phrase, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. J. Vernon McGee used uh, this phrase. He says, You might have a better way of doing things, but you don't have a universe. You might have a better way of doing things, but you don't have a universe, which means what? You are not God. That's what's happening here. God's in control of this. And often, these ancient creation narratives would talk about the gods struggling against chaos. Right? Other gods. They have to to take down the other god, and they have to use that other god to make things. That's, That's not what the Bible talks about. There's no struggle or fight There's no chaos to be beat down. Everything is submissive to God. He is in full control of the story. James Barr, a Scottish Old Testament theologian, he put it this way. Genesis is interested in an organized world as against a chaotic world and not in the question of something against nothing. Think about it this way. Uh, We got Graham little tykes basketball hoop many of you have been in our home you've probably seen it and uh, it's about yay high and uh we got him that and he's he's learning to shoot you know i'm i have to be very patient because he wants to shoot like this and i'm like no son you have to shoot like this so we'll, we'll give that later but when we he wants to play basketball and what he doesn't understand is as soon as he walks up to the goal that's getting swatted, and he's not going to make a shot. As long as I'm in the household and as long as I can move, he will never win a basketball game against me. It's just, a, it's just what's going to happen. Right? What he doesn't understand is that he will never win as long as I'm at least better than him. I control it the whole time. If I want him to score, great. If I want him to make a basket, great. He can make one, but he will not win. Right? I am in control of the story, and he will remember that. This is, on, on my little small scale there, God is in control of all, all of this. There is nothing competing against him. There is no threat to our God. There is nothing that catches him by surprise. He is in full control. I'm the uncontested basketball winning person in the Evans household, but God is the uncontested God in all of history, in all the universe, in everything. Everything. God is uncontested. Like an author writing our story, God is in full control of how this story ends, of how your story ends. We can trust Him, that He's in full control, and nothing else is. Often, we go through difficult times, and we question God. And I I believe that God can handle those questions, by the way. He can handle your questions. He's big enough. He's God. But we must remember that this is God's universe. He does things His way. He does things His way. He's in control. So what does this mean for us? If God is the main character, He's eternal and in control, what does it mean for for us? God defines who we are. God has a future goal and a future purpose for His creation. God is in control from beginning to end the universe and more importantly, your life is charged. It's Packed with meaning and purpose. You have a purpose because you have been made by an all-powerful, all-creative, all-in-control God. You are not a chance. No matter how much specific scientists want to tell you that, you have a purpose. You have a You have meaning. And some of you worry. Am I going to miss out on God's will for my life if I make this decision? Is this going to mess this up? And here's the thing. The psalmist tells us we plan our steps, but he directs our path. And you should make wise decisions, but at the end of the day, if you make the wrong decision, God's still in control. How do I know that? Because if I believe God is sovereign, you can make whatever decision you want. That's not going to mess his plan up. That's how sovereign our God really is. Darkness and suffering will not prevail in this world. Many of you have been sick and had ailments. Many of you have lost family members. Many of you have struggled mentally with depression or anxiety. God is not far away, and he is not oblivious to those things. He knows. He knows. You are not an accident. And you are wonderfully and beautifully made. Our God is the creator of the entire universe. He's in sovereign control of it. But he didn't just wind us up like one of the toys and let it go. That's not what happened. Which brings us to our second truth this morning. God is intimately involved in his creation. As we pick up in verse 2, I think Moses wrote verse 1 to to give us a big overarching summary statement. I don't think there's a break or a gap between verses 1 and 2. I don't think this makes sense in the flow of the story. What what this means is that verse 2 picks up in light of God creating everything. And God has brought creation into being. Now he must cultivate it. Look down at verse 2 with me. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. God is intimately involved in His creation. Therefore, He's the sustainer of it. Therefore, sustainer. The earth, that is our planet, is waiting to be formed. This would have struck the Israelites as odd because they've been promised a land we're supposed to go to this land. We're supposed to have the promised land that he promised to Abraham. And the words earth and land are the same here in, in the original language. And so God promised land and it would have hit Israel. Wait, wait, wait a second. How can this land be unformed? How can, it, how can darkness cover it? And so what God says is, no, I am in control. Now look back down there at verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. That doesn't sound good, does it? But don't think about it as in like uh, m- mythical chaos, like in the, in the Greek sense. Think about it as unproductive, uninhabitable, and it definitely cannot sustain human life. It shows us that God is not done with his work yet. He's just starting. And this word formless means that there are no boundaries, there's no rules, there's no functions so we're going to see next week, in the first three days, it takes God three days to make the earth productive, make it inhabitable, make it functional, to produce vegetation and such. And it's going to take three days to fill the earth with animals and sea creatures and birds and mammals and, yes, humanity, the culmination of God's good creation. I look back there again at verse 2. There's still a problem, Right? This time it's the darkness and the depths of the water. But let me be clear. Although there are, maybe things are not the way they should be, that there are challenges for God's people, but these things are not challenges to God. The watery depths, the darkness on the earth is no threat to God. God created them. I Think about for Israel, the Red Sea, they've, cro- they've crossed it at this point. God is in control of that. Just because it's a sea and just because it has depths does not mean it's a challenge to God. In fact, what is God doing? Look at the second half of the verse. The Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters. Even though the, the earth is not full of life yet, God is still there. His Spirit is at work. The, the word picture here is a, is of a mother eagle hovering over her nest, protecting it, providing food to her young eagles, guiding them when they begin to fly as she begins to hover over. Then that's what's happening here. God is hovering over his world, protecting it, and beginning to form it and to make it into what he wants it to be. He is sustaining it. We see in Colossians 1.17 that Jesus is the one holding all things together. God is holding this universe together. And so if God is actively and intimately involved, and therefore he sustains it, then we must do something. Therefore, we must find our purpose in God's story. We must find our purpose in God's story. When we acknowledge that God is the main character of the story, He's the one in charge of everything in the universe, both spiritual and physical, then we are enabled to have knowledge of this God, that we need Him. And finding our purpose in God's story demands that we not see ourselves of God's as God's in our little worlds, (coughs) in our little kingdoms, in our own little stories question is, church, I need you to hear me. The question is, do you believe? Do you feel, do you know that you need God? Because if we took an inventory of our lives and the time that we spend, what would that say about what we truly believe? Do we believe? That we need God. Are you dependent on Him to work in and through you? Or have you been blinded by things like the American dream? That you are in control of this. It's like the blind side of a car. That these, these competing stories in the world, they blind us. And we think we're the only car driving on the interstate. And there's no, there's no problems, there's no challenges. I can go wherever I want to at 100 miles an hour, and what we don't know is there's a Mack truck coming for us in our blind spot. Because if God is the of the world and God has created everything good, and we look at it and we say, wait a second, something's wrong. There's a Mack truck coming for us. If you are not a Christian today, I don't want to code it for you God's pouring his wrath out on sin but he poured his wrath out on his son for us but we've been blinded by these competing stories we've been blinded by these things that we really actually need Jesus in church church we actually may be have be blinded too if we're not careful Jesus says this in John 15 remain in me And I and you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Why? Because you can do nothing without me. We need God. And particularly, we need Jesus Christ. Christ, we must see and feel and understand and know our need for God or we will be useless in His work and in His world but what is so beautiful about this, that we see a beautiful, grand God, is that He reveals Himself to us in His word He invites us to know who He is, that we find our purpose, we find our, that God loves us, we find out He's all-powerful, all-knowing and a creator God but this knowing must lead to obedience. All right, Genesis is this special kind of history. It's history, but with a, with a point. All right, Genesis is going to teach us how to live before Christ, who is our king. This kind of history shows us that the Old Testament, this worldview, transcends just a historical uh, account Right? It's not just history for history's sake, but it records past events so that we have a purpose of educating us so that we know how to live, that we know that God has called us to obey and that we get to actually do that in Christ. We now can obey in Christ. And remember, we find ourselves in those three stories, the immediate, the story of Israel, and the grand story. And God has revealed himself in the grand story. Through the scriptures, through these words, through this story. But he's also revealed himself in the word. The word being the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ in the flesh, his son. God has revealed himself in Jesus. In fact, we know that this Jesus, who has been the revelation of God... We know that this Jesus is present in creation. He is the agent of creation, Paul tells us, in Colossians 1.15. He says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And by him all things hold together. And John picks up on this as well, which we recited during the Christmas season. John 1, verse 3, all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing created has been created. So Jesus is the beginning. He's working with God, the Father, and the Spirit to sustain the whole world. And without him, the Christian, the disciple, cannot grow in maturity. Church, we can't do nothing without Christ. So Jesus, who is God, we will see in this story culminates in Him. Remember, the story's about God. The story's not about us. And Jesus tells us that in Luke 24, the whole story of the Bible culminates in Himself. You can say that the story's climax is found in in Christ, in His life, death, burial, and resurrection. Everything before it anticipates Christ. Jesus coming into the world. And now everything we look back to helps define us now in the world. It gives us true meaning. We must see our lives as stories written to glorify God and to find our purpose in Christ in His gospel. God's story, the story about Christ and His salvation, which has been brought by God's sovereign hand at the right time, should shape our stories, should shape it. We should find our purpose, which means Jesus' story, the story of the Bible, should shape our story. And it should shape how we view the world, what is true, what is right, what is beneficial, what is good. Jesus must also define who we are, must define how we live and how we act. We must ask the question, what am I giving my life to? What am I giving my life to? What is defining me? Often we let the here and now cloud our motives. But we must let God and His story define our lives. We must let the eternal inform how we live. It's not that we forget the here and now. No, the gospel speaks into how we live here and now. Maybe a good question to ask is, what is my priority? What am I giving myself to? What is my time used on? Is it used on knowing this God and therefore being used by that God to serve and to love? Or is it used on other things that I want? Other things that I want to give my time to? What has God made the priority in your life? Not what we think it is, but what the Bible says. That the gospel is what is the priority in our lives. That the church community is our priority. That we're going to give ourselves away for the good of our church family. And our families that God has given to us to steward. To raise our children. May we give our allegiance to this creator God who is in control of all things. Who sustains us. And we give our allegiance to him because he defines us. Our God is the sovereign creator of the entire universe who is intimately and actively involved in his creation. This means that he's the main character, he's eternal, and he's in control. And for those of you who are going through difficult circumstances, that means that he sustains this whole world, including us, our hopes and our dreams, our love and Therefore, we must find our purpose in him through Christ. Do you know him? Do you know the story? If you're not a Christian today, I I ask you, do you know him? Because this God loves you. And this God has given himself for you in Jesus. And this God is the one that you can find true meaning and purpose If you do know him, if you are a Christian, how can you better align your story with with the story? May that be the question that helps us think about the story of Genesis as we go through it the next year. How can I better align my story with God's story and therefore glorify and honor him? Pray with me. God in heaven, we are so thankful for all that you've done. We are thankful that we can praise you for your mighty, wonderful, and powerful acts, and particularly in Jesus Christ. God, I pray as we as we walk through Genesis, as it's preached to us, would we hear it and respond with all of our being, our minds, our hearts, our wills? Will we respond to you? Will you make us look more like Jesus? through understanding how all this stuff came to be and why we're here, what you've done, why the world is like it is. Will you help us look more like Jesus? Will you help our church be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other and to this community? God, we love you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.